Hello, I am Manuel Avila and this is Spirituality and Science. In a previous episode, I explained how it is possible to reconcile an objective understanding of the cosmos based on science with a mystical vision of natural phenomena based on science as well, but also the narratives that we build to connect our inner world with the external reality. This is called poetic naturalism. And through it, or at least through a simplifying version of poetic naturalism, we can resignify terms and practices that we have traditionally seen as belonging only to the realm of the supernatural. This is the exercise that I have been doing to redefine the concepts that I have gathered during these years of spiritual path, which have been very useful in my life and that have allowed me to help others as well. Recently, we also talked about good and evil, and we observed how this duality is expressed in many ways in different belief systems. In religion, for example, one talks about virtue and sin, but in the esoteric knowledge, there is often a duality of light and darkness. These terms are frequently used interchangeably, And it is often thought that light is equivalent to good and darkness to evil. But in the ancestral perspective that I learned, light and darkness have more to do with their physical rather than the esoteric meaning. Light represents pure consciousness and darkness represents the absence of light. This is unconsciousness. From that point of view, there is no moral judgment on what that light reflects or what that darkness hides. It simply recognizes the fact that there are situations, behaviors, thoughts, sensations, emotions, and reactions that we can identify at the moment they occur and therefore correspond to our conscious will. We could say that those thoughts, emotions, and reactions are in the light, but there are other processes that happen without us realizing them. One could say against our conscious will or even to the detriment of our own interests, self-destructive thoughts, sensations that do not come from any real stimulus like phobias, emotions that cause us suffering like hate and envy, or disproportionate reactions like anger or panic. All these things are what we could call darkness, not because they are bad, but because they do not take place consciously. We cannot see them, they are hidden. In fact, We could find some examples of positive things that are in the dark as well. For example, positivism. There are people who are naturally positive, even beyond logic. They are able to remain optimistic despite adverse circumstances. That might be good, but it is still an example of darkness as it's not rational. Another example could be heroism. There are people who have the ability to put aside their own interests or even their own life for the sake of others. I'm talking about cases in which such behaviors arise without a conscious mental process. If it's unconscious, even if it's good, it's part of the darkness. Why? Because even love, when experienced without consciousness, can end up causing unnecessary harm. Positivism, disconnected from consciousness, can become stubbornness. Stubbornness and heroism can become a form of unnecessary martyrdom. Light is associated with values 
related to balance, love, consciousness, equanimity, justice, understanding, truth. Hence the expression to shed light, which could also be interpreted as to enlighten. Science and spirituality seek to shed light where there is darkness. Science on all the physical phenomena that we do not understand and spirituality on all the phenomena of the human mind of which we are not aware. Darkness does not mean evil, but it is the ground where evil thrives. Unconsciousness, fear, tyranny, conflict, deception. The period of time between the 5th and the 15th century in Europe is remembered as the Dark Ages, or obscurantism, because it was a time of little intellectual advancement, compared at least with the times of the classical Greece and the Roman Empire that preceded them, and also as compared to the Renaissance that came later, when there was an explosion of scientific and artistic creativity. However, many historians avoid the use of the term Dark Ages, precisely because it carries an amount of negative overtones, partially because of popular culture in which this period is often identified only with violence and backwardness. Needless to say, the stigmatization of darkness has much to do with the racism that has been prevalent in the Western culture since its inception. The black, the shadow, the darkness are all related to evil, sin, vices, and therefore, throughout history, black women and men have been defamed being considered prone to evil, sin, and vices. Of course, us humans have an instinctive fear of the dark, because we are predominantly daytime animals, with little or no sensory adaptation to the dark, unlike snakes, cats, or rodents. Historically, we were hunters during the day, but prey at night, and therefore we have a natural distrust of visual darkness. But it has been darkness of the mind that has prevented us from overcoming these primal constraints and recognizing our mental biases. The darkness and its demons. Earlier, we discussed how our brain has been evolving in layers over millions of years. Homo sapiens became the dominant species on planet Earth thanks to a number of physical and mental adaptations. Among the latter, we have the awareness of ourselves, of, of the past and of the future, of the long-term consequences of our actions and of our own and our fellow human beings' emotions. This number of phenomena that are generalized with the term consciousness should rather be called human consciousness because some of these more or less sophisticated processes have been proven in many other animal species. That human consciousness, as we saw in the episode about the self, emerges from the cerebral neocortex, with particular focus on the frontal lobe, a system that has to coexist and cooperate with the other two layers, inner, brain, inner layers of the brain, the limbic system, also known as the paleomammalian cortex, which is where the emotions we share with the rest of mammalian animals originate. Maternal instincts, um, social behavior, motivation to make decisions and long-term memory. For this is the battlefield where light and darkness meet. The instincting forces of human survival and cooperation emerge. Doing whatever it is necessary to keep us alive and safe. 
and the neocortex has to put a stop to emotions and keep them under control so they don't get out of hand. For example, neuroscience has identified the brain activity related to sexual orientation, fear, and emotion in a small part of the limbic system called the amygdala. And instinctive forces such as hunger, thirst, and sexual desire in the hypothalamus. Both of these areas belong to the limbic system. Science has called all these brain processes, as I have referred to them, instincts, natural pressures. Religion has another name for them, demons. All those beings that we are told that are tempting and seducing us so that we surrender to our appetites and primitive instincts are in the limbic system. With or without the involvement of consciousness, they are going to do what they must do, like which is forces to eat, drink, sleep, rest, seek love, and reproduce. Have you ever done an involuntary fast or walked away from someone you love from one moment to the next? Then you have realized probably how these processes of the limbic system battle in order to give us back what we are depriving ourselves of. Indigenous philosophy has a different way of seeing these mental systems. They're not called demons, but internal animals. The initiates say that within each one of us, there is a serpent coiled in our spine. This represents sexuality. Also, that there is a bull in the chest, which would be anger. A sloth could be associated with laziness, the crow with envy, envy and the parrot with gossip, for example. While in traditional religions, the aim of spirituality is to resist the temptation of demons, and in some esoteric cults like Gnosis, the work consists in destroying them altogether. From For the Amerindians, the inner work is also called inner hunting. But this is not a hunt to destroy, but to capture and to tame the animal that is being chased. Old men say that these animals must be hunted one by one, because otherwise they will take turns to counterattack when they feel chased. Then you have to follow the animal silently and observe it very carefully. Learn the time when it wakes up, how it moves, how it feeds, what, it, what calms it down. Then you should approach it little by little, never seeming threatening, but on the contrary, always showing empty hands without ever losing sight of the animal. Finally, After many attempts, when the animal discovers that the warrior is respectful to it and that is there to learn from it and to unite with it, then the animal bows its head and lets the halter be thrown around its neck. Does this story sound familiar to you from somewhere? Where have you seen this relationship between a warrior or a hunter and a wild animal? That's right, this is the plot of How to Train Your Dragon a film full of wisdom that we see in a where we see an insecure and fearful boy uh, approaching and finally taming precisely a, a black dragon of a race called Night Fury. Uh, we also saw this in Avatar when Jake Sully, who is an impulsive and undisciplined boy, becomes the first Navi to tame Turok, who is again an imposing flying animal, like a kind of dragon. I'm also reminded of the life of Pi, in which Pi ends up taming the tiger that travels with him in, in his boat. Note that in this uh, latter case, 
the metaphor is even more precise because not only it is a wild animal, but it is on board on the same vehicle. So there is no way to run away. Either the tiger is tamed by Pi um, or Pi ends up becoming the prey. The moral in all these stories, which for some reason makes us feel identified and excited, is that once the animal has been tamed, the warrior and the animal become one. In Avatar, for example, they called Toruk Makto, whoever who managed to conquer the, be the beast and join it. Quite literally, because in Avatar, the Navi connected their hair to that of the animal. Now we know that um, where the stories of Greek mythology uh, could have been started um, is precisely this combination of a man or a woman with an animal. Um, so you hear about beings that were half man and half beast, like the centaur if it's a horse, or minotaur if it's a bull, or manticor if it's a lion. The Mayans talked about the Nawal, or guide animal, which comes from the same cosmovision of mastery over the internal animals. And although they talk about the capacity of the initiates to physically become their guide animal, the truth is that it's almost likely that, or most likely, this is more about the adoption of the characteristics that are attributed to each animal like the vision of the eagle, the ear of the ocelot, or the smell of the wolf. In Colombia, for example, the knowers of the Kofan ethnic group also tell stories of elders such as the Taita, Kerubin Keta, who is said to have the ability to morph into a jaguar at will. The jaguar for most Amazonian ethnicities symbolizes the wisdom and strength of ayahuasca. So it is not surprising that during the trance of ayahuasca on a moonless night, many agreed to see their rever revered grandfather taking the form of a black panther. In short, we have made a somewhat strange journey from the processes of the limbic system in the brain to Greek and Amerindian mythologies, but I have only supported my initial hypothesis of how the initiatory knowledge of many cultures can be validated from the point of view of science, making us or making use of the concept of poetic naturalism to use narratives of fantastic stories that represent very real and very experiential, verifiable events. But then we're missing one part of the sacred trinity of the mind. We have already spoken of the neocortex, which is where human consciousness emerges, the limbic system, where the emotions and the mammalian instincts are found. But we're missing the R-complex, or the reptilian brain, although its, mo uh, its most accepted name is the brain stem. We saw in a previous episode that the most primitive instincts reside in the brain stem, and that they emerge during evolution when we still form a single family with the reptiles. We saw that this region of the brain produces the instincts of aggressiveness, respect of hierarchies and territoriality. Here, the key part that I want to highlight is um, or are two functions, hierarchy and territoriality. In addition to this, the brainstem is also in charge of the autonomic functions of the nervous system, including breathing, heartbeat, um, sleep, and wakefulness. 
This is the most important part of the journey we have been taking so far because we are coming to the most important place for an initiate, the sanctum sanctorum, and we will see why. The autonomous processes of the human body are those that function in a totally unconscious way. They do not require our attention or our intention. Yet they fulfill their function perfectly. They are not hidden. So if we pay attention to them, we can see them, feel them, and even control them to, to some extent. Yes, even the heart rate can be altered with the right techniques. Heartbeat and breathing are the fundamental tools for different types of meditation. Sleep and vigil are tools that many esoteric cults use to make internal trips and contact what they call other dimensions. Look how curious um, these tools are located in the part of the brain that has the same shape of a crosshair. If you Google an image of the brainstem, you will find a kind of scepter formed by the spinal cord, uh, the spinal bulb, and the variolo bridge and the head of the stuff that is called the thalamus. Uh, and th there's an image of, of the brainstem uh, in my website. That is the staff of the indigenous elders, the scepter of the esoteric magician, the crosshair of the bishop. It is there where the inner work is carried out and the mastery is achieved in order to subsequently go and do the hunting of the internal animals on the battlefield of the limbic system. By learning to control the autonomous processes of breathing and heartbeat, we learn to take control of our emotions, to overcome disordered states of mind and ultimately to tame our instincts and inner chaos. This is called meditation. The shamans train themselves with the staff and they use their wisdom and power conquering with the light of consciousness all those unconscious mental aggregates that make our existence bitter and that are waiting for us to wake them up. I told you that the limbic system is the battlefield on which light and darkness fight. We discussed the instincts and natural forces of the mind, which are what many identify as demons. So, are there also angels? Well, the brain has many mysteries and many aids, but one in particular that we know about is in the limbic system, just above the brain stem. It is a very special gland for the esoterics, the pineal gland. Many mystics claim that this gland is a dimensional portal, that it is the way to contact the divinity, that it is the third eye and other things that for the time being remain in the field of mystical speculation. But what science has discovered is that the pineal gland produces dimethyltryptamine or DMT, which is the same psychotropic chemical compound that ayahuasca and LSD contain. Nowadays, the functions that this chemical has in the brain are still being discovered. But some that have been already demonstrated are the production of emergency, emergency oxygen to avoid the death of, of cells when a sudden lack of oxygen occurs, the regulation of sleep cycles, but the most curious one, the production of mystical experiences and altered states of consciousness. Could the pineal gland be responsible for generating experiences of encounters with spiritual or divine entities? And if so... The question would be, why do we humans need these experiences as part of our evolution? In any case, there is the game 
board in which we are going to continue discovering spirituality linked to science and the path to awakening and coming out of the matrix. The task is to shed light on the darkness, reveal what is hidden, train our inner animals and find an individual balance that will bring us lasting peace and happiness. This process is known as enlightenment. Have a good journey and a nice breeze. <music>